You're listening to the Birth Matters Podcast, episode 65. The second time around, it really started hitting me two to three months before giving birth that the whole family dynamic was going to change. And Amelia, my firstborn, was not just going to be the only one who I was going to share my day with and give my attention to fully. And that she'd have to probably go up really fast when the newborn arrived and she won't have all my time. She'd have half my time and half of Yatsik's time. Just putting her to sleep. Sometimes I'd be like, well, this might be the last time I do it for a while. And those kind of things really make you sad and can weigh on you, especially the closer and closer you get to the birth dates. I didn't have any depression or anything, but those feelings are real and they're sad. And I found myself crying many times with the last few days. And once the baby was born, I think it just heightened. I think it might be a combination of hormones. It might be a combination of the reality of it all that the baby's here now. Hey there, and welcome to the Birth Matters Show. I'm your host, Lisa Graves Taylor, founder of Birth Matters NYC Childbirth Education and Labor Support. This show is here to lessen your overwhelm on the journey into parenthood by equipping and encouraging you with current best evidence info and soulful interviews with parents and birth pros. Please keep in mind the information on this show is not intended as medical advice or to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Are you following us on Instagram yet? We have lots of educational content there, so connect with us over at Birth Matters NYC. What happens when you grow your family from an only child to two children? Today, Danusha and Yasek share two birth stories, one hospital birth with an obstetrician and one birthing center birth with a midwife, both so fast that they barely make it to the birthplace in time. They compare and contrast the two birthing environments and care provider models, which will be helpful for anyone trying to make these choices before or during pregnancy. I realized that last week's and this week's episode titles both center on grief. Grief is a necessary process in any life change, and all kinds of grief can be challenging. Last week, you heard about grief of losing a parent, whereas this week, you'll hear a mother describe the surprising sadness she experienced toward the end of her second pregnancy, as well as into postpartum in the transition from having just one child to focus on to having to divide attention between two. You'll hear how important support was for Danusha as she expresses gratitude for the ways in which her doula and fellow moms normalized and validated her feelings of grief along the way. I'm really excited to share with you that over the past few weeks, I've stepped into leadership of the Astoria Doula Collective. The Astoria Doula Collective is composed of mostly birth and postpartum doulas. Contrary to what the name sounds like, our doulas serve all of New York City and Western Long Island. We also offer parent groups, classes, and workshops to support expectant and new parents. We also just brought on a fertility doula, Laura Kratas, who can support folks who are trying to conceive, as well as Adrian Stair, postpartum doula and baby-wearing educator and consultant who's been on this podcast several times. If you'd like to learn more about how a doula could provide amazing support for you in the journey toward and into parenthood, I'd love to invite you to one of Astoria Doula Collective's monthly free Meet the Doulas events, which are virtual for now. Visit birthmattersnyc.com to RSVP for the next one, or you're also welcome to visit astoriadoulas.com to check out all that we offer. Now let's jump into today's story. Hi, Danusha and Yatsik. Welcome to the Birth Matters podcast. So glad to have you here today. Hi, Hi. Lisa. Thanks Thanks for having us. 
Thanks. Thanks for having us. It's good to see you again. Would you like to just introduce yourselves? Let us know where you are in your parenting journey, if you'd like to share your occupation. I'm Danusha, and this is my husband, Yasek. We have two children. One is uh, two years old, so she's 28 months, and our second born is two months old at the moment. I'm a stay-at-home mom. I have been since I gave birth to Amelia. I used to work before that, but obviously once I had her, I, I felt like I wanted to stay at home with her and see each developmental stage and just to be a part of the whole thing. And, and both our children are girls, by the way. Yeah. So Danusha is very happy having two girls. <laughs> and, um, very happy, um, even though they're a handful sometimes. Outnumbered. It's, it's amazing to have two girls. And I'm a cloud solution architect at Microsoft based out of New York City, but these days, I mean, I've actually always worked from home pretty much most of the time anyway, and so nothing much has changed uh, for our situation. And you lived in Long Island City when you gave birth the first time, but then before the second one, you moved, right? Yes, now in Cedar Grove, New Jersey. <laughs> Great. All right. Well, why don't we start off by sharing a little bit about each of your pregnancies and the ways that you prepared for a healthy pregnancy, for labor, for birth, for parenthood, any and all of those things, and maybe comparing the different ways that you prepared with each pregnancy. So for our first birth, first pregnancy, really, you know, everything was new to us. So we did what everyone else probably does. You Google everything, you research things, you try to understand what's going on with your body, you ask questions the gynecologist or midwife, whatever you choose. And things just got a bit overwhelming. I was a bit scared and being new to the United States as well, you know, not knowing and understanding the whole healthcare system. We came from South Africa, so everything was new to us here. So I did a bit more reading and I happened to come across, I think it was a, was it a documentary, The Business of Birth or something? Business of Being Born, I bet. Mm -hmm. Born. And I, I just watched it out of interest and it started to open my eyes to things and to see the more natural side of, you know, how birth can be more natural and um, it doesn't have to be, you know, something stressful. And, you know, so I became interested in that. And that's how I then Googled birth classes and I came across birth masses with you, Lisa. And yeah, I think I just, just attending the, the classes just taught me so much about what I could experience in childbirth and how I could take control of the situation, you know, to an extent, obviously, depending on what my body was going to do, but, you know, how to make things a bit easier when labor came around. I also started reading a lot of books and try to prepare my mind. So I read Ina Mae Gaskin's books, the, the midwife books, and, you know, that really helped me during the whole birth process, the first time around, especially because I got into the right mindset from reading just other people's experiences and how you can experience a hypnobirth. I didn't know at that time what hypnobirthing was, but I think somehow I just picked it up from what those women wrote. And when I was giving birth to Amelia, I just focused on certain things, certain imagery, and it really helped me to get through the whole labor and to just focus on what was, what was coming and, I think that made the whole situation a lot easier for me to handle because I was very calm the first time around. Now, the second time around, um, I'll get into that a bit later, but it wasn't as calm, let's put it that way. 
And yeah, I had a doula as well, doula Rachel Franzen. She is amazing. She's the best, best doula you could have. So many of my students have loved her. Yeah. She's really helped, you know, with resources, with everything, just preparing me even just for the labor itself. That's my two-year-old. So cute. (laughs) So Rachel really prepared me the first time around when she, especially, she really helped a lot when I was in labor because I didn't know what was going on essentially so she really helped to get me dressed and to get me out of the house because my first labor was really fast I mean my water broke at 8 30 at night and things just progressed really quickly I mean from what we learned in the birth classes you should lie down relax you know just have some food and get energized and rest so I try to do that and it just really wasn't working for me because everything was going so fast and I didn't realize that at the time so I thought well I've got a long couple couple of days or hours ahead and not realizing that I was pretty much ready to push at that stage. So Rachel really, really helped a lot to keep me calm and just to actually get me out of the house so that I didn't give birth in the taxi. I mean, I don't know what your experience was with preparing for birth. Yeah, I mean, similar to what you said, we probably, if we hadn't come across all the alternatives, more natural childbirth, midwives, doulas, all of that, we would have landed up just following what the opgine would have told us because that's what we even grew up when when you when you knew parents, your experiences are based on your own parents. That's how our parents gave birth to opgine in a hospital and we would have just trusted that person and assumed that is the only option. And um, I think uh, especially once we attended the birth classes and started watching videos and books, um, it opened us, our eyes to all the options. And that's how it's kind of evolved from the first birth to the second birth where yeah. we try to have more control over everything in a better environment. And maybe on the third we'll go even further. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm curious, Danusha, you said that Having moved from another country, that is part of what prompted you to do a lot of research. Do you think you still would have done a lot of research if you had given birth in South Africa? I think I would have probably done a little bit of research into childbirth just to know, you know, what's going on with the pregnancy and just typical curiosity that any new mother would have. But I don't think it would have gotten as in-depth as it did being over here in the United States. And I think that I probably would not have found such good resources as I did here. I probably wouldn't have come across the documentary. I wouldn't have had as good birth classes as yours. Definitely not. I don't think those resources are all available. And I think in South Africa, just judging from a lot of friends and family who I've seen giving birth in South Africa, a lot of them just opt for C-sections just because, you know, so I think that comes from fear from not being able to control what's happening to your body or not knowing. I think it's they see it as that's the easiest solution, which is fine if you if you want that. But I think that they may have chosen otherwise if they had had, you know, the resources available to have made a different choice. And the that's C-section different. rate is very high in South Africa yeah. from what hmm. I remember as well. And we'd also had parents influencing us and you'd just go, you know, your parents had a certain experience, you'd, they would, you know, you'd probably go with that as well. Whereas when we moved here, we were all alone and we kind of had to chart our own course with a lot of these type of life decisions. Great. Well, any other things you wanted to touch on before we go into the birth stories? 
Well, I guess with preparation, I can discuss how that differed in the second birth. Sure. With the second birth, I was very much prepared from the first birth. I mean, it's not such a big age gap between the two. So some of, well, at least all the information was really there. You know, it's still stuck in my head. So I kind of knew where I was going. But this time around, I could build onto that. And, you know, I, I tried to read up on hypnobirthing. I didn't really get into that and get a chance really to read because, you know, having an, a toddler running around, you don't have much time for all that stuff. So what really, really helped me was the preparation that I got from Doula Rachel. She prepared me to leave the house. And I remember exactly what she did to get me out of the house. And that's not what I would have known for my first birth had I not experienced that with her. So for the second birth, I knew that if my water were to break the same way that it did in the first birth, I knew that my second doula, which is Stephanie Pasternak from um, Bergen Doula, I knew that she she was not going to be coming to our house because my first labor was four hours long and there was a high chance that it would also go quickly and she wouldn't be able to get here from Tenafly, you know, to Cedar Grove. It's quite far. So I kind of prepared myself for that situation. So I kind of had like a change of clothes ready. I had extra underwear, like socks, everything in one pile, a big maxi pad for the leaks of the water gushing through, like just everything ready to to just put it in the car and leave. And that really helped me because that saved a lot of time in the end. So everything was prepped and ready to go. And it did happen that way where my water broke, same thing at night. And one hour and 20 minutes later, I was holding my second born in my arms and that was just such a fast process that I'm really glad we had prepared, you know, in advance for it. I, was, I would have probably given birth in the car, like almost like the first time around. <laughs> and what about your different choices in birth places? Do you want to talk about that and the type of care provider? Yeah. So the first time around, we gave birth at Lennox Hill with a gynecologist. And that experience for me at the time was really quite stressful for multiple reasons, just all the tests and everything that we had to do. Yeah, I think it was an experience that I don't want to go back to. And second time around, I guess, because we had a toddler, I didn't know what to do with her having no family in the States and being a stay-at-home mom, I always looked after her. So I didn't have a nanny or someone I knew or could trust. And having all our friends back in New York, all over Long Island City and Astoria, I didn't know anybody in Cedar Grove. So I had that dilemma of like what do I do with our firstborn going with the birthing center was really a great option because they allow you to bring anyone you'd like so you can bring your children in with you and they can be a part of that you know whole process and that's really what caught my attention and I thought well because the first birth went so great I mean everything progressed well I didn't have any interventions I was probably you know a good candidate for a birth center birth with a midwife so I was a little scared to do the home birth at the time. So it was baby steps, I guess, from the hospital to the birthing center. And maybe if we have a third, I think that'll be the next step. We'll be at home because now I know what we can do and what I'm capable of. And I think, you know, I don't think I'll make it in time to a birthing center. Yeah. Yeah. I really thought you might choose a home birth the second time after how quickly the first one went, but I get it. I totally get it. Yeah. I mean, the second time around, I really liked the idea of a midwife and a birthing center because of how 
relaxed I could feel. Every time I went into a gynecologist appointment, I felt like, oh gosh, what's next? Am I going to be, you know, especially closer to the birth date, I was like, am I going to be pushed to do something to get induced? I, I was so scared of that happening. Whereas with the midwife, I knew it wasn't going to happen. So I was very relaxed throughout and appointments were always on time. I went with Avalon midwives. So there was just literally no stress for us. We would just go in and come out. And that's really amazing when you have a toddler because, you, you know, what do you do with them when you have appointments? They can only hang out for so long. And just having Amelia there with, you know, from the beginning till the end so that she could see the whole process and be a whole part of it. I think that made such a difference for us, for our stress, for the bond, for her accepting a new baby into the family. I think she just took everything in such a mature way and she understood everything. So I think that really helps to include her um, the second time around. And if we have a third, then I think that'll just be amazing to have the whole family all at home and to feel like confident and relaxed that nothing's going to go wrong and it's going to be okay to do it at home. And did you find with your prenatal visits with your midwives that they spent more time, that your appointments lasted longer than when you were working with an OB? So they didn't really last longer in that sense, but I I do think that they were more in-depth, more um, informative, and the information I got back when I asked questions was definitely a lot more detailed and you know, it put my mind at ease. And they also brought things up with me that maybe a gynecologist wouldn't have brought up with me. So I I could understand things. And obviously going to a midwife, it's totally different from an um, an opgyne. So, you know, I had to learn what it was like going to a midwife and that the aunt has many scans and the aunt has many, you know, tests and things that need to be done. So you kind of have to get used to not being able to see the baby inside. And yes, I think the whole overall experience was amazing because I felt like my questions were answered and not just simply brushed aside or, you know, extra interventions put on me unnecessarily, Mm -hmm. really unnecessarily. Yeah, the Obergine was always stressful. I mean, you'd have to wait in the sitting room for an hour. And then all the testing, like the monitoring. all, All the tests, the reaction was always, ooh, this is a, could be a problem. Ooh, be careful of this. Watch out for this. And it, you never felt at ease. And it's the last stressing. thing you want late in the pregnancy is stress. Mm-hmm. Until it did reach that point. And whereas the midwife center was completely opposite. Yeah. And when there's something, they said, that's normal. That's normal. Mm-hmm. Not, oh, we have to monitor this because you know, could have a big baby or this pressure is not right or something. Mm-hmm. You're constantly worried. And, yeah. And you, yeah. Well, and it makes sense when you think about the fact that OBGYNs are trained to help support high risk pregnancies and labors and births. And so it, they tend to look for a problem because that's their expertise, you know, mm-hmm. whereas midwives are more trained to work with low risk, healthy pregnancies, where it's very unlikely that any problems will arise. So they, it's just a very different mindset in general. It's not black and white at all across those professions, but that's a general tendency we find due to the difference in the way they're trained and the people that they serve. Yeah. Absolutely, I agree with that. And I do think that my first pregnancy was maybe seen as a high risk when it really shouldn't have been. If I'd been with a midwife, then it wouldn't have been seen as a high risk pregnancy. I was put on bed rest for like, I don't know, dilation issues or something like it was 
that I was dilating too quickly or something and, you know, just traveling, you know, on the subway and everything, gynecologist was a bit worried about that. So that I understand, but there were like other things that were piled on top of that unnecessarily that I genuinely don't think were issues. But at the time you do feel like, oh, this is a big problem and you have to start researching and then you start stressing about it all. And mm. my wife, it was smooth sailing. The number of appointments, having to go to another center and extra tests. I mean, all the travel when you're like seven or eight months pregnant and having to go yeah, to <laughs> two appointments a week for second opinions. And it was, like, it was very hard <laughs> at that time. Yeah, and I actually, I think that it does a lot for your mental health as well when you're with the midwife because I felt so much more able to do things this time around, even though it should be harder because it's hard on your body to carry a second pregnancy, I think. And I just felt like I could... I was on my feet until the last moment. I was putting Amelia to bed when my water broke. So I was still able to do things. And my, I was pretty positive up until that point. I don't think I would have been if I went with the gynecologist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you, you weren't feeling like a sick patient. You were feeling like a healthy, strong woman, <laughs> right? I, that's what it sounds like. Empowerment. Truthfully, I think that's what it is. It's a, that sense of empowerment. Mm. you can do it and your body is capable Mm. yeah absolutely well is that a good time to go into i know your neither of your birth stories is very long but as much detail as you'd like to provide of the short time you spent in labor i'd love to hear about that yeah so the first one yeah so my water broke and i was just laboring in the shower how many weeks were you it was actually 39 and 6. So she was on time. So I was waiting for Rachel to come and she helped quite a lot with some um, back work for me because I had a lot of pain in my lower back. She just helped us to get us out of the house. And- the main thing is, I mean, when your water broke, you know, going to the birth class and hearing, yes, take your time, relax, have dinner. Yeah. We're not going to blame you, Lisa, for making us <laughs> prep dinner. Our, our I make no promises. <laughs> Remember how I said huge range of normal, <laughs> but usually it is a long time. You also broke, we called the doula and she's also like, she also said, yeah, have dinner and um, take your time. Let me know, you know, start counting the minutes between contractions. And uh, yeah. we try to count, but then we were just so like, don't, don't count. I just told them to stop pushing those buttons. And then I was panicked having to start packing and everything and calling Rachel to you know, come straight to us because I need hands. You know, we weren't that prepared for it. I thought, you know, your water break, we'll have a few hours to get everything packed up and ready to go. But you were screaming that you needed an epidural <laughs> right now. <laughs> after about 20 minutes <laughs> of contractions. And-, and she lives in Brooklyn, I believe, right? Yeah. So it probably took a bit for her to get to you. I don't know if she was driving or... Five minutes or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have known because I was just... By that time, I tried to help as much with all the pain management techniques on your lower back, all of this, but Tanusha <laughs> swatted me away and said, I'm hopeless. So, <laughs> I didn't uh, say that. <laughs> you, 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 you kind of locked yourself up in the yeah. bathroom, um, stood in the dark shower. The labor uh, cave. I just uh, chased him out. I said, just leave me alone. I just retreated into the dark shower by myself and I was just doing the chance. <laughs> and then eventually Rachel came and took over helping Danusha mm-hmm. in the shower, just getting her changed, ready to go to the hospital. Yeah. 
Rachel was a lifesaver. Rachel's hands have magic in them. <laughs> yeah, oh. That lower back labor, it was, it was a miracle, really. Mm. And can I ask, uh, Danusha, when you said you were doing chants, do, are you inclined to share, did you have certain affirmations or phrases or mantras that you were I, saying? Not really. It wasn't like any words or anything that made sense, really, because I'd watched a lot of YouTube videos of other women doing it. So I was like, let me try this. And they, they do say to relax your jaw because that relaxes everything in your pelvis. I don't know how, but I did it and it worked. So like just sort of making a sound like they say to move, but I felt silly doing that, especially because we lived in an apartment block and I don't want the neighbors to think, you know, there's something crazy going on <laughs> with me. <laughs> but I'm just like saying, ah, oh, like just trying to get it out just breathe through it all and just remain calm and it really really helped a lot when we got to the hospital the nurses were really slow and they wanted to put me in the what is the room that you initially go into triage and Rachel was like no you've got to prepare the room to deliver and everyone the whole team was like running to get the the room ready and they were so surprised at the end they said well we didn't know you were that far along because you were so calm with everything so you know, that was nice to hear because, you know, first time around, I guess I thought that it would be a lot more stressful than that. And I think I just wanted to be like by myself in the shower just to process what was happening. And, you know, four hours is quick, but I think it's good enough time to be able to process what's going on with your body. Whereas the second time around, it wasn't that easy to process what was happening because it was so quick. And I didn't expect that I would give birth within one hour and 21 minutes. Can we back up to your first labor? Do you have any recollections of the car ride to the hospital? Yeah. So we got an Uber and we got in and I I can still remember what was going on around me at the time. Were you in the back seat? I was. And was Uh, your doula, was Rachel back there or was Yatsik back there? I didn't really want Yasek near me because he wasn't very helpful at that time. I think (laughs) Rachel's hands were magic, like I said. So she was in the back with me trying to help me really to keep the baby in at that point. She taught me some breathing exercises to actually keep the baby in rather than to make the labor progress. I was on my knees facing the back and just trying to get through the whole process until we got to the hospital. And I guess the taxi driver was very stressed seeing me in that state, you know, because when a contraction comes on, you kind of scream and whatnot so he was probably surprised and shocked and didn't know what was going on absolutely and the funniest thing was when he said go to Lennox Hill because you're giving birth and he asked us have you scheduled have you scheduled an appointment to give birth because he said that's funny my wife we had to schedule when she's going to come give birth probably an induction I'm guessing I think his wife may have had a c-section so he didn't okay whole probably the screaming and all that so when he saw that he was like oh i've got to drive and we're like no 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 don't drive <laughs> you've got to slow down i don't want to feel every bump in the you know queensborough bridge you know the potholes and everything right to- yes those are awful and were you feeling the urge to push in the car i can't remember i don't think so i potentially a little bit if i remember correctly but yeah i think i was more scared of everything coming up but yes yeah, time around definitely Definitely had the urge to push. <laughs> actually. So then how was the pushing stage with first time? First time around the pushing stage, I mean, I, I read lots of things, so I wasn't sure if you should push or not push, but this was after the first birth. But going back to the first birth, the nurses guided me and pushing was relatively simple and calm for me. 
I heard that it can be very painful and long. Thankfully, my pushing was done in two or three pushes. I did feel that ring of fire that you mentioned, and I thought about you when you mentioned it. I was like, okay, this is the ring of fire they talk about. I remember saying that out loud. So that was quite distinct and obvious about the pushing parts. And yeah, then she came and the rest was history. We had a little girl in our arms. Did she come straight to your chest? Yes. Mm -hmm. So we tried to do the you know, the natural thing of letting her do the crawl and not just initiate the breastfeeding, to let her do the crawl slowly. And then we did the breastfeeding. And Rachel helped quite a bit with that because first time around, you don't know what you're doing, honestly. But I also think that being in a hospital setting, the whole breastfeeding thing may have not been the best thing for me. So in one way, it was really good because they did show me how to do it. And, you know, I really learned quite a bit but they helped with pumping and I don't know if that created an oversupply. And yeah, Amelia was just throwing up a lot of milk in the first like couple of months. Cause I think that I had such a big supply. She couldn't handle it. And the letdown was so fast that she probably mm. couldn't handle it. Yes. Yeah, so I was grateful for the help, but I think that maybe it was too like interventionist in a way. I don't know. It wasn't. I mean, especially when you spend that two nights, I mean, you probably had three different lactation consultants. Each one had a slightly different point of view or approach. And then obviously a baby loses weight, you know, soon after birth and the hospital has like a red line, oh, if you lose 10% or whatever, it's a problem, means the baby's not eating enough. And that together with the lactation consultant almost created a panel. You have to feed, okay, you better start pumping so the baby gets enough milk. And because we were inexperienced, we kind of took their word for it because, you know, you trust them and then but when we got out the pediatrician said that's normal every child you know you shouldn't be worried about that but it did push you to do the pumping I mean that was one of the main things because did that creates some anxiety it did a little because they were making me pump I think every two hours or something but I think your milk doesn't come in until like day two or three anyway but yeah it was a bit stressful to pump so much because then you start thinking well maybe I can't make any milk or anything but everything was really fine at the end of it but Dula Rachel helped a lot as well she came, you know, postpartum, she came to our house and she helped us with the different positions, feeding positions, lying down, cradle, hold or football hold. And, you know, just that really helped with a lot of things to take the strain off. And I didn't really have any side effects from the feeding, like any back pains or anything, because I, I was doing things correctly. Whereas second time around, I knew all the positions and everything, but I don't know, I think I overworked my, my wrist. And I think that's another thing that postpartum women go through quite a bit with like carpal tunnel or like issues yes, a lot I started to experience this time around from feeding incorrectly the second night or third night that she was home Maya my second born and I'm still dealing with that now now that she's like almost nine weeks old now so I'm still dealing with those issues now so. mm. which I didn't have the first time around have you heard of Chelsea method I think so. It's an online program. They just launched a prenatal program, but they have a postpartum program. It's done by two doctors of physical therapy, and they go into functional movements and getting your body back in an optimal posture. And they talk about body form and breastfeeding and all kinds of things to really help resolve or prevent some of those issues. So I'll send you the link and I'll post that in the show notes as well because it's an excellent, excellent program. Sometimes the effect postpartum on 
a mother's body is so different from one pregnancy to the next that you don't even realize what you're going to go through the second time around. But the first birth, you know, you give birth, your body somehow recovers okay-ish, you know, you get back into things. The second time around, I felt I had to get back into things a lot faster than the first time around because now I have a toddler that we have to look after as well. So, you know, your body kind of adjusts to that. Like you just have to get up and go. There's not much time to rest like first time around. And second time around, what I found was really difficult was the post-labor contraction pains that you get so that the, the uterus can shrink back to normal again. The first time, you know, you feel those pains and... You feel them when you breastfeed, but they seem to go away after like one or two days. Second time around, the pains are bad. They are extremely painful. They kind of almost feel worse than the contractions during actual labor. Uh, you know, I felt like I was shaky and it was it was agonizing, really painful. So that's something that shocked me going into birth second time around. And I mentioned this to Stephanie and she said to me, well, wait until the third because that's even worse. Um, yeah. And it's very common for us not to notice it much in the first time around. And then the second time or any other postpartum time, it, it's like, what is going on? And I remember calling my midwife after my second baby was born saying, is there anything I can take for this that's compatible with breastfeeding? And she had me stagger ibuprofen with Tylenol every couple of hours. And that really, really was a lifesaver. Because yeah, I agree. It felt at times harder to deal with than my contractions. Do you want to share more details about your second birth? Okay, so the second time around, I mean, the pregnancy, as I mentioned, went really well with Avalon Midwives and our birthing center. Everything was peaceful, great, everything was normal. And I gave birth one week earlier than I did the first time. So it was at 39 weeks, just exactly 39 weeks. It progressed in much the same way. Water broke and then half an hour later, contractions started. So I same thing, I was lying on the bed like I was with Amelia. I heard a loud pop <laughs> the first time around with Amelia and the water just gushed everywhere all over the bed on the floor. Second time around, I was actually lying in bed with Amelia because she we bed share, so I was putting her to sleep and I remember her being restless and not wanting to sleep and I just heard this pop, but I felt nothing. There was no water, so I was like, well, maybe that was just the baby kicking really hard or something. But I was praying. I was like, Amelia, please just go to sleep, go to sleep. And then 10 minutes later, after that popping sound, she fell asleep. And getting all that preparation from Rachel, I knew to leave some towels on the side of the bed just in case. And I had some under me just in case as well, like the last week <laughs> before I gave birth in case the water broke while I was sleeping or something. And luckily it, you know, I had those towels because the moment I stood up after Amina had fallen asleep, all the water gushed out. So I knew that that was the popping sound of my water breaking. So I quickly wrote to Yatek who was renovating our house because we moved to New Jersey. So he was quite busy until the last moment with the renovations. I said, the water broke. <laughs> he was you painting the walls. <laughs> <laughs> I thought the quickest was, you know, just to message him so he can start getting dressed while I sort of hobble along with the towel and try not to wet the floor and all the furniture and the rug and everything. So he didn't see the message. So I was like running and hobbling out there saying, my water broke. We need to go. <laughs> we quickly got dressed. And this time around, we have a car because we live in the suburbs. So I think, yes, I called Stephanie from Bergendula. Yes. So, um, you know, just to let, let her know that my water broke and that we'd be heading straight to the birthing center. 
We are not better to. prepared. We already Definitely. had the car seats for the newborn. We already had the car seat in, and I think we already had a bag of things. In we the had car. our yeah, the car, the bags in everything. So. I actually had yeah, towels yeah. in the back seat of the car in case the baby was born, like on the way to the hospital. Because this time around, Avalon, you know, the the distance was a, a bit further for us compared to the yeah. first time around Lennox Hills, not too far from Long Island City, whereas mm -hmm. we gave birth in Morristown and we live in Cedar Grove and that's a half an hour drive. So I was really a bit stressed that I wouldn't get there on time. So we packed some towels in just in case anything happened in the car. So same thing, I took uh, Rachel's advice of putting my knees on the back seats, just holding the back headrest, looking out the back window. And I just pulled the armrest that's in the middle out and I put my head down on that and I just, I was lying there and, and screaming because it was extremely painful compared to the first time around. I had no time for chance. I had no time to think about what was happening. And I also had my toddler who had just fallen asleep and I had to whip her out of bed. She had half an hour of her sleep and, you know, now she's sitting in the car seat and I'm screaming and she's like, what happened, mommy? I was like, nothing happened. I'm Okay. Then the next contraction comes, what's happening, mommy? Are you okay? What's happening? And now she's 24 and months. She had just turned two, two told years. the baba's coming. Yeah, and she, she understood, understood it. it. So that was the whole nice thing about her being able to come to the appointments, you know, to see and to hear the heartbeats and just seeing my belly. And she just really loved the whole process. So to have her involved in, in the thing really, I think, kept her calm and helped her to understand what was happening when I was in labor. Yeah, and then we got to the birthing center and I was asking, I was like, how much further, how much further, <laughs> you know, until we get there. And once we did get there, he's like, where is this place? He so, kept telling me to slow down on the yeah, highway. Because uh, all the bumps and I was feeling it. <laughs> but we had to get there as soon as we could. So. Yeah, so that was the thing. We I either drive fast and get there or we drive slow and we don't get there. So I mean, I had to just put up with all the bumps. You know, second time around, you don't prepare as much as you do for the first time around. So first time we had a whole tour of the place and we knew exactly how many steps to take into the hospital and where to go, which elevator to use. This time around, we were just like, okay, we know where the birthing center is. It's right here behind, you know, the building where the midwife is. So we'll just drive around and, the corner. And, and we we'll never had there. a tour because of the COVID mm -hmm. stuff. They canceled all the in-person tours. So. We never actually saw where the office is. And when we yeah. got to the building, Everything was the lights, lights were off because they had no other births there that night. Yeah. So the lights were off and I couldn't find it. So, <laughs> so we parked in the parking lot on the other side of the building. And, um, what month did you give birth? In June, June 18th. Okay. Yeah. So so after the height of the pandemic, but still still <laughs> definitely an issue. <laughs> They still had the restrictions, so no tours or anything. But, you know, that was our fault. We could have still gone to see where the front entrance was. Mm -hmm. We couldn't do that. So in my mind, I mean, I did look on Google Maps to see what it looked like. Yasek didn't do that. So I was like, it's got a green awning. It's like a green roof. And I was trying to see. And he's like, I don't see any green anything here. Oh, no. <laughs> but it was dark. Um, we had the phone. We phoned the midwife who was on call that we were on our way. Yeah. The midwife was busy at the hospital, so they had to get a second midwife out to come. Um, nurse. Luckily, a nurse arrived two minutes after we did. Because the minute I put my feet out of the car onto the ground, I just felt this big drop, and I was like, okay, she's coming. <laughs> I was like 
frozen, stuck outside of the car and door, I was, hanging on. I was and... looking for the entrance. I couldn't find where the entrance to the birthing center is. Yes, I was, it was running like with holding you know, our toddler running around. You were screaming yeah. in the parking lot, and then luckily the nurse arrived and she saw us and ran across the parking lot to you. She felt for the baby's head and asked, "Do you want yeah. to give birth here in the parking lot, or?" Do you want to slowly walk across to the birthing center? And I remember saying, I need a wheelchair. <laughs> She's like, we don't have one of those. I'm like, but I need one. She's like, well, let's just slowly start walking. And I just, I honestly had to take every last bit of strength and courage I had in me to try and hobble along in this parking lot to the front door and into the birthing center onto the bed. And it was, it was hard. <laughs> But we, we did it and um, I literally got onto the bed and started pushing. And that's when the midwife doula came in. Came. The midwife came in. This is the midwife on call, the second one, really. She came and then doula, Stephanie, came in as well. And yeah, then I, I mean, at that stage, I didn't really know who was around me. It wasn't like at Lenox Hill. I knew what was going on and who was around me and stuff. But this time I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> Yeah, when it's that fast, makes sense. But at least this time around, we got our say. We could wait until the cord stopped pulsing. There was no stress around that. Turned down the lights. Yeah. We made the room pretty much dark. Yeah, as dark as it could be because they had to Amelia see was sitting right next to us. Yeah. I mean, Amelia was right there watching the baby. Amelia could out. see the baby being born and she was just in awe. So, you know, she she was so interested in what was happening. And at age two as well, you would think that they'd be stressed out and crying and, you know, not knowing what's going on. But she really, I think having her being part of it really helps with the behaviors afterwards at home as well. She doesn't really act out or anything. It's a very rare occasion that she does. So I think that whole process really prepared her for it. But yeah, the whole hospital birth versus birthing center birth, it's like day and night with the interventions and taking the baby to weigh them and everything and you know just how the baby's kind of yours the minute she comes out so I did the same thing like I did with Amelia she did the crawl and then we started feeding and everything really went well you know Stephanie was by my side helping with with the feeding and just keeping the baby warm and I was really really tired after this birth compared to the first one I think because everything happened so fast I was just I was in pain I was extremely exhausted I couldn't even like hold her very well it was it was just hard yeah that's hard on your body when it ramps up so quickly Mm -hmm. sometimes people think well I've had a doula the first time around I know what to expect it's fine Uh, but I think having a doula the second time around helps as well because you know my husband is looking after Amelia and you You need a helping hand and and just having someone there to help with everything I mean just holding her and it was hard and this time around Stephanie really helped a lot with the feelings that I had around the birth so she she prepared me quite a lot with information as well like other more information as well so a different information than what I got from Rachel so I could you know learn a lot more about what to expect with the midwives, because that's something new. You know, we didn't know what interventions they do in terms of like eye ointments or vaccinations. Like what do they do? You know, we didn't know. So she informed us quite a lot about what the experience would be like with a midwife. 
So, you know, we came across a lot of different things that you could do with the umbilical cord and like all the different placenta preserving things. Like I had known about the capsules and stuff with Rachel, but this time around, like she had a checklist of things that we may be interested in. So I was just interested to see that something about a lotus or something. Lotus birth. Yeah, I, I didn't know all those things. So, you know, it was nice to be informed about those things ahead of time in case I wanted those things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it, it was really a nice learning curve for us to learn extra about the natural side. Like Stephanie is really big into the natural things. So, you know, just we learned quite a lot from that side of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was just nice to not be told, cut the cord, cut the cord, like having a big fight in the emergency room. Well, not the emergency room, in the delivery well, room. It is like an emergency know? room. Well, it did feel like that. <laughs> <laughs> you have a million people yeah. standing over you and bright lights shining. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The doctor's screaming at Yasek to cut the cord already, and we're just like, but and me screaming at the doctor to stop trying to wash the baby and everything. <laughs> 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 yeah, so this time around, there was none of that. It was really just, you know, whatever we wanted. And that's a nice thing because you're in control of your own child. That's mm-hmm. I think, the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. I think you said that you wanted to share for anyone who might experience something similar about the grief process going from a family with one baby to a family with two. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So first time around, I was aware of the, you know, the possibility of having postpartum depression and all that stuff. And thankfully it didn't happen to me. I was fine the first time around. The second time around, it really started hitting me like two to three months before giving birth that the whole family dynamic was going to change and Amelia my firstborn was not just going to be the only one who I was going to share my day with and give my attention to fully and that she'd have to probably go up really fast when the newborn arrived and she won't have all my time she'd have half my time and half of Yatsik's time and that you know it kind of feels a bit hurtful because you want to give you all to all your children I guess so yeah just putting her to sleep was sometimes I would be like, well, especially closer to the due date, I'd be like, well, this might be the last time I do it for a while. And those kind of things really make you sad. And just playing with her all day, being a stay-at-home mom, just taking care of her. You know, you think like, this is the last time I'm going to be doing this. This is the last time it's just us going to the playground. And those kind of feelings can weigh on you, especially the closer and closer you get to birth date so I wasn't depressed I didn't have like any depression or anything but those feelings are real and they're sad and I found myself crying many times with you know the last few days and once uh, the baby was born I think it just heightened I think it might be a combination of hormones it might be a combination of the reality of it all that the baby's here now that really was my last time putting Amelia to bed that night and you know those last have now come to an end and now it's a time for new routines and just getting to learn this new little human being that's joined our family and one day you're with Amelia all day and all of a sudden the next day I'm not with her at all it's it's really hard and that whole process was quite difficult so it was really very nice to have a doula who understood that Stephanie has three children of her own so she went through it all and I could speak to her about the whole thing so in the beginning before I gave birth I told her my feelings about you know now I'm gonna I feel like I'm abandoning her almost sometimes and 
She said she felt the same thing. So I thought, well, you know, this must be a thing that most women go through. And I wouldn't have known that had I not had a doula. So I thought that it would be important to mention this in a podcast so that other people who go through this don't have to feel alone as well. Um, You can understand and know that it is normal and that you need to reach out for help and just speak to someone who has gone through it and understands. And I think once Maya was born, I... Yeah, I, everything went off the rails. I was crying almost every single day over nothing and everything. <laughs> just seeing seeing her have to, you know, just adapt and be with Yatik all the time. He was obviously on paternity leave uh, so he could look after her and play with her. But it's not me. So you feel that sadness of handing her over and not giving her the attention. And, you know, sometimes you see sadness in her eyes and then it makes everything much worse for you. So you feel sad about that. You feel the grief process around that. And then you also feel the guilt because now you feel as though, you you know, what about the newborn that's coming? You should be happy about that. And, and I was very happy about it. But I still couldn't shake that feeling of the grief. And it took a whole week of crying, feeling sad, feeling like I was in the depths of hell, honestly, to put it that way. I felt like I would never see the light of day again. That's how bad it felt. And I just reached out to some of my other friends who had also recently just given birth to their second, you know, their second children. And yeah, they they really helped a lot. And I spoke a lot to Stephanie afterwards. She really helped with my feelings and to normalize how I'm feeling and say, you know, this is all normal. This is what you go through. So that that helped me. And I think after that first week, things started to lighten. You still get those feelings after two months, like now. Um, You still feel, you know, that grief returns in waves, comes and goes. But it's not as bad as that first week. So it's definitely a lot better now. Yeah, that first week, you know, your milk is coming in and there's so many hormonal changes. So we're expecting to have some baby blues. So I'm sure that really was playing into it. As you mentioned that, you know, part of it was hormonal. Do you think that the pandemic played into any of how either of you guys have felt in this time, in this, you know, second time around? It sounds to me like you probably would have experienced this grief process regardless of the timing of your second baby's birth. But I was just curious, do you think that the timing in relation to like, we're in the middle of a pandemic right now, did that play into your emotional state for either of you in this journey? So for us, I think we were really lucky that, um, you know, we didn't have much change in our life and our routines or anything because we both stayed at home even before and COVID started, yes, it worked from home. We were always at home. So it's not like we had that extra stress to deal with, with like school and getting the children to school and ready and now having to deal with them being at home and having that whole change. So I know a lot of families went through, you know, through a lot of stress with that. So luckily for us, it was business as usual from that perspective. But once I had experienced that grief, I felt in one way I did feel like I wish I had my family here, but with flights being um, totally stopped, no international flights from South Africa, we didn't have any family able to come over. Um, we do have family in the States, but my sister-in-law is also pregnant now, so we couldn't expect them to travel and with us. And, you know, so we were kind of pretty much alone apart from our friends who all live in New York. But I think that in this day and age, technology really helps a lot. So 
I could reach out to family, like my mom, my mother-in-law. I could reach out to friends who had gone through the same thing and just, you know, I've got a WhatsApp group with some of the other moms in the building in Long Island City where we used to live. And, you know, I just wrote to them and said, this is how I feel. Is this normal? Did any of you go through that with your second born kids? And, you know, what did you do? Does it get better? Does it leave? Does it ever get better? And I think just getting the experiences from everyone helped me each day. And sometimes I had to be reminded the next day or five minutes later that it's not just me and that I'm not going through this alone and that it's normal. Because, you know, I'd feel better and then all of a sudden I'd feel sad again when I see Amelia and that I'm not there with her and, you know, so I think being away as well from everyone, like not even having friends come and visit in the first few weeks just to come and see the newborn and just to experience that joy with everyone else, I think, you know, that, that also added to it a little bit. But I, I don't think that for our family, COVID had such a huge um, impact on my feeling of grief. I think it was more just because it was what it was with me sure. being mom and so attached to her. Um, well, I'm so glad you have had and continue to have support with your mom friends. You know, your doula sounds like she was in, immensely helpful to help really normalize it, that this is a very, very common grief process that we need to give ourselves permission to go through. So I'm so thankful that you were able to have clarity to pinpoint what it was you were feeling grief about and sadness about. Because that's huge in just processing through that grief and moving through it in a healthy way. Yeah, it's definitely really helped with that, with helping me to understand that, I guess. Mm -hmm. It is normal and just to pinpoint what it was and how to deal with it. And I also read um, the books of Sarah Ockelsmith. She's got a book, I think it's called The Second Child Book or something. But yeah, I think that helped me a lot as well because she helped me to understand the the grief with the second child and what to go through and how to prepare. So that book was really useful. I will be sure to include that in the show notes. Thank you for that recommendation. Did you want to share a little bit about the birthing center model in terms of what happens after birth? Okay, I know Yasek has a lot to say about that. So Yes, so one of the things um, that Danusha, uh, I think after the whole experience, mentioned was that you felt like, you know, the main difference was in the hospital because you were, first of all, staying overnight. And you had a lot of people involved, not just in the tests every few hours and checking up on you, but actually right in the beginning helping you. Basic things, just going to the toilet the first time, having someone to hold you and support you, having a shower, having someone there to hold you, support you, people bringing you something to drink, to eat. Well, the meals at Lenox Hill were amazing. I'd go back there just for that. (laughs) I've heard good things about Lenox Hill's food. (laughs) So so there you had a lot of hands-on support, especially if you're a mom and you're tired, you had a long labor or a short one, either way, you can be physically exhausted from it. It was in a birthing center because the whole model is about getting you in and out of there as quickly as possible. Um, You know, you kind of felt on your own. Even though we had to do that, we also had to deal with the toddler being taken care of because we couldn't bring any other family in the COVID situation. And you felt like um, it was harder for you because you were physically probably more exhausted than your first mm-hmm. birth and just having to go to the toilet on your own, shower on your own, you said felt uh, harder. It was harder in some ways. Um, 
I mean, I see the whole point that, you know, empowering you and making you feel like you're not a, a patient or like, you know, like there's something wrong with you. So I get that. But at the same time, it was a bit hard and I didn't anticipate that in the beginning. But now that I know what it's all about, I guess maybe if I were hypothetically to have a third bird in a birthing center, I would understand that process and I'd be able to deal with it a lot better. But I think because it happened to me at the time, I wasn't able to understand like the whole, you know, I mean, process the birth and then be able to still stand up and shower and do everything and leave so quickly. You know, I felt like I, I just wanted to get into bed and sleep and rest. So you could do that in a hospital setting, whereas in the birthing center, you kind of, you give birth and you leave and, but that is the probably the best thing because you're in your own home again and, you know, you get into life with the newborn and you get the newborn to sleep at home and they sleep so long that, you know, that's, that's great in the beginning. But it's hard. It's a trade-off, right? Yeah. Because a lot of people report in a, when they give birth in a hospital that they can't sleep very well because often it's a shared room. Not always, but in New York it often is. And there's beeping monitors and, you know, staff coming in and out. At the same time, you do have a bit more support while you're there. So as people are, you know, weighing their different options for where they want to give birth, that's just another consideration to realize that, yes, you will be sent home sooner at a birthing center with the idea that your home is likely more comfortable, but it also is a trade-off that you won't have as much hands-on support, you know, for the day or two after birth as you would in a hospital. And when we got home, we got a full night's sleep. Whereas in the hospital, you had someone coming yeah. in every hour. Just as you're about to fall asleep, someone comes in. Yeah, just as you sit on the toilet, the photographer comes in. What do you want? Awkward timing. <laughs> yeah, so at least I had no photographers walking in on me in my own bathroom. So it was nice to be in my own setting you know, yeah and the newborn me. sleeps through the night on the first night and then mm-hmm. again. <laughs> right <laughs> at least not for the foreseeable future <laughs> yeah because yeah, you guys are just a couple months in right with your second still in that fourth trimester yeah we're more prepared this time around so parenting does feel a bit easier in some ways and in some ways, it's harder. It's just harder having a toddler and a newborn at the same time. Neither mm-hmm. of us have free hands. It's yeah. You're not outnumbering them. It's kind of equal now. Right, yes. Another thing with the hospital setting versus the home birth, being able to leave early and come home, I think um, it was really nice that I still had that care at home. We had a nurse come over, I think, the next day to check on the baby and to check on me to see if I'm healing well. So that was really, um, that was really reassuring for me because that I was scared of that because I know in the hospital they check to see if you're bleeding extra, or if you have any issues that have come up. I was a bit scared of being at home. But with the nurse coming over, I think that just put us all at, at ease to know that my healing is going fine. I'm, you know, going on track so it was nice to have them come to you rather than have to drag out but the other downside about having a child in the birth setting or at home is that you have to take them to the pediatrician so that can be a little difficult you know just gathering yourself you know putting your toddler into the car and the newborn and you know just lugging everything with you to the pediatrician the day after you give birth that can be difficult whereas in the hospital the pediatrician is there and they can 
you know, do everything for you in the hospital setting. So right. one day it's a little easier in the hospital when it comes to a pediatrician. Well, this has been great. Do you have any last things that you wanted to share that you hadn't gotten to share yet or any specific tips or insights for new parents or expectant parents? Well, I remember Stephanie telling me that when I bring the baby home, my firstborn is going to look like a giant. And she did. (laughs) Before I gave birth, she was still this little child. We could pick her up and our hands would fit around her head if we just moved her or picked her up. And, you know, at age two, they are relatively small. But once you have a newborn, you're like, wow, you grew overnight. (laughs) So that really is a big surprise when you go from one to two. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great observation. I I hadn't really thought about that. Now I have to think back to our journey into having two babies. I guess that's true. Yeah, you that perception changes. Especially when they're sleeping next to you in bed and yeah. you have to move one. One is tiny, like a feather, the other now feels like a rock. She does. She's older. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share your birth stories. This has been wonderful to see you again. And I know this is going to be very valuable for listeners. So I wish you well, continued healing and continued bonding as you continue to grow into this family of four. Thanks for having us. It was so nice to speak about the whole thing and to relive it again, actually. Take care. Bye. Many thanks to Danusha and Yasek for sharing their journey with us. Danusha mentioned that it was a bit of an adjustment between OBGYN care and midwifery care, specifically in the fewer tests and ultrasounds that are done. I just want to mention there can be a big range on these specifics, partially depending on whether you're working with a hospital midwife, a standalone birthing center midwife, or a home birth midwife. So if you interview midwives, you can always ask how many ultrasounds are done, what kind of tests are done, how frequently or infrequently cervical checks are done, or whatever things matter to you in order to find the most well-suited midwife for your preferences. I always love to point out the benefits of birthing centers, but as with anything, there are pros and cons. This episode points out some of the potential challenges. I appreciate this because to me, it's important for expectant parents to be able to make informed choices, for no one to gloss over things and make one option seem totally peachy because that just wouldn't be realistic. It's been very challenging for New York State to create sustainable out-of-hospital birthing centers. There's actually a bill in the works right now that may be passed by the time this airs that seems to be aimed at helping more birthing centers to exist. But over the years, the rare birthing center, both in hospital and out, seemed to pop up but then only stick around for a few short years before closing for financial or regulatory reasons. This is one example of a huge need for improvement in maternal health care in our country and specifically in our state and city because birthing people deserve choices. Oh, and in case you're wondering what a lotus birth is, I just wanted to define that. It's when the placenta and cord stay attached to the baby until it dries up and falls off naturally. I've found a lot of people think that a lotus birth and delayed cord clamping are the same thing, but with lotus birth, there's never clamping, whereas delayed cord clamping occurs usually somewhere in the ballpark of 30 seconds to 3 minutes after birth in a hospital setting, and up to 20 minutes to an hour or so in a birthing center or home birth. With lotus birth, the placenta and cord stay attached to the baby even after the placenta comes out of the birthing person's body 
and are kept intact. It's not something you see done in most of our U.S. birthing locations, except for the occasional home birth, and it's quite stinky so that families who do a lotus birth will often need to use salt and or herbs to mask the smell of the dead tissue while waiting for it to separate. There is almost no medical research on lotus birth, and the benefit of the blood transfer to the baby stops once the placenta has separated from the uterine wall. There may also be an increased risk of infection when left attached to the baby for so long. So while I'm a big advocate for delayed cord clamping, and I talk more about delayed cord clamping at the end of episode 19, lotus birth is not something I generally recommend and is not something that most hospitals would allow. I'll post more information on both delayed cord clamping and lotus birthing in today's episode show notes, episode 65, over at birthmattersshow.com so that you can make an informed choice. Okay, here's a sneak peek of what's up next week. So it was a very stressful situation to be sent to the hospital and be told, if you can't get your blood pressure down, you're being induced today. (laughs) It's sort of the worst thing you could tell somebody who's trying to... But what I found was I would put my headphones on, I would lie down on my left side, and I would start to listen to my hypnobirthing tape, and I would just really focus on the relaxation and my breathing, and my blood pressure numbers would just drop. And they would come in and sort of shake their heads and say, okay, I've never seen this work before, but I guess you can go home, you know? And this actually happened a couple of times. It was really instructive to me to see how that kind of relaxation and breathing could affect my body in in these really significant ways. And honestly, it gave me a lot more practice too for the hypnobirthing techniques. The thought I'll leave you with today is this. For any kind of grief you might be experiencing, whether it's the loss of what you thought this time in your life might look like, the loss of a loved one, or going through a life transition like Danusha, support is essential. Think this week about what that support could look like. Thanks so much for listening to the Birth Matters podcast. We'll see you next week. 